Getting split. Getting split. Getting split. Getting split ready. For my wife, God rest her soul. Oh God, I'm so sorry. No, 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 she's not dead. We're just divorced. Unscripted and honest discussions on divorce and separation. Getting split ready. What was I supposed to tell him? I divorced you from the show. Here's your hosts, Doug Katz and Mariah Pleasant. Hey, how's it going? And welcome to another episode of Getting Split Ready. Tonight, we have a great couple of guests on our panel. We've got Cameron Goodman from the Goodman Law Firm, divorce attorney extraordinaire. I've worked with him on some stuff. Fantastic divorce attorney. And Colleen Honquist, certified divorce coach, founder of the Divorce Coalition, and founder of C. Dick and Jane Get Divorced, that we highlighted that a couple of times on the show. Yeah, product. We'll talk about and that yeah, a little we'll bit more. We're talking about a little bit about that uh, tonight. So, uh, let me find my notes here. The first segment of Getting Split Ready is brought to you by Split Ready, your source for preparing for your divorce and finding professionals to help you get divorced. If you're getting divorced, go to Getting Split Ready, www got splitready.com take the assessment find out where you stand and get split ready we're going to jump right in talk a little bit about preparing for a divorce and discovery leading off with cameron and um talk a little bit about what discovery is i think a lot of people don't necessarily understand what discovery is well discovery is the process by which the court system uh it provides for the parties to exchange information and documents. Now, don't they already know each other, though? You've got two people. <laughs> They've been married. You know, I guess if it was like a quick Vegas wedding, maybe not. But when, when does discovery really come in? Well, there's different types of discovery. Okay. Uh, everybody going through a divorce has to do what's called a financial affidavit, the financial disclosure statement. Okay. Everybody has to do that. And uh, so that's, that's part of discovery. And in most cases, that's all that's really needed. The more assets, the more discovery. Um, so after the financial affidavit is done, then we're into what might be informal discovery. So the parties might voluntarily exchange documents that, uh, without having any formal discovery instrument imposed upon them. They do it voluntarily to avoid additional expense of further discovery if they can avoid it. So informal discovery is them agreeing to substantiate information in their financial disclosure without the lawyers having to ask each other for it, sort of. Uh, Sort of you that may that may be true, but uh, generally speaking, with the, the new rules with the financial affidavits, require the parties to produce the supporting documents with the financial affidavit. The voluntary discovery would be more documents that you want beyond what was in the financial affidavit. Like for example, a party may disclose uh, the existence of a non-marital property. So that's what I was going to. So yeah. is there's times I'm sure where people are less than honest. Um, we actually what? had, well, we, we had a uh, forensic accountant on a couple a couple episodes ago. And is it a legal document? Like, if, what if you are not honest on it? What is the recourse for the for the spouse who's who's divorcing? Uh, sanctions. Uh, you sanctions. Uh, you know, the fine. Um, you know, it really more just a, an opportunity to file an amended affidavit from the judge as quickly as possible. Okay. Because I think how normally that would get resolved. Um, people do file incomplete affidavits or affidavits that are ambiguous about what's exactly in there. And that's what that's when you start, you go into formal discovery. If you didn't get what you wanted uh, uh, with respect to the financial affidavit and voluntary discovery, then you would go on to what's called 
formal discovery. And that's when you, you hear about that costs an excessive amount of money frequently. For example, interrogatories, requests to produce, uh, requests to admit, subpoenas, and then you get into oral discovery, which are depositions. So often in a couple, one person has a pretty good handle on the finances. One person may not have such a good handle to different levels of, of knowledge. Uh, if I'm the person who doesn't really have a good handle on the finances, that financial affidavit can be pretty overwhelming. Um, are there, is there advice that you have for that person who's in that situation who really doesn't know what they have? Use the tools that Discovery has to offer and make sure that they get all of the information that they need. We can't divide up the pie without knowing how big it is, right? Agreed. So can they, in their first pass of the financial affidavit, say, I don't know? Is they can. They can. And usually the financial affidavit is about what expenses are, is the person who's preparing the affidavit actually paying? Um, that's on the expense and the income expense side. On the, on the asset side, uh, they may put on their you know, uh, husband's pension upon information of belief. You know, they may only know from five years ago because their husband mentioned it to them in passing mm -hmm. that the asset even exists. Um, and they can put on there that, you know, the husband should be disclosing it. But they can certainly either not put it on their affidavit, which is one option. Or alternatively, they could wait and see whether the husband discloses it and then send out, um, you know, interrogatories, requests to produce, and or maybe subpoenas, more likely subpoenas uh, in that case. Now, Colleen, as a divorce coach, you're obviously really integrated in the process. Do you help out with discovery when people are, when they when they retain you as a divorce coach? Well, sometimes when they come to me and they're working with their lawyer, they are in the process of gathering the documents and a lot of times they get overwhelmed. So I tend to try to break it down into segments and say, well, today, <laughs> let's just gather documents, uh, you know, whether it's your bank statements and credit cards, and I try to break it down into a smaller amount so they don't get quite so paralyzed. Um, but yeah, I, I do get involved and I do try to help them through that process because a lot of the times when they're working with their lawyer, um, they just need a little bit more of the uh, information. I, I think that that's a, a great observation. I mean, what often happens, what I'll often do is send a paralegal out to their home if they're in that overwhelmed and having that much trouble mm -hmm. getting through all the documents and gathering and actually help them get those documents uh, rather than waiting for them to do it. Do you find that discovery differs with the different type of divorce, like mediation? Is there still a discovery process if they're if they're more amicable or is it is it like joint discovery? How does that work? It's there's still a discovery process in mediation, and but it's a voluntary process. If the party's not going to produce the documents voluntarily, then there's no longer voluntary mediation taking place. In voluntary mediation, they have to be willing to be forthcoming and transparent or the whole thing kind of crashes. Crashes a bit, right. correct. Right. Um, is there advice that you would have to, and this is to either one of you, to someone who's thinking about divorce in terms of prepping for discovery prior to retaining an attorney, prior to going down the road of divorce, but wanting to get their ducks in a row, so to speak? Well, one thing that, that I always tell individuals is start looking at bank statements, uh, gathering any kind of credit card numbers, anything they can. Nothing, you know, you don't have to be a detective, but try to keep track of whatever you can find and um, start documenting. 
Yeah, I, I would agree with I would agree with that. I would add to it that um, you know uh, figure out whose name the credit cards are in. Um, if that person doesn't have credit of their own, ap apply for it um, and make sure that that issue is is uh, is addressed as far ahead of time as, as possible. Um, I think that's an important point that you yeah. touch on too. And Doug, you can speak to this in terms of credit too. If someone doesn't have a credit history knowing that they may be going into a divorce, getting something in their own individual name can yeah, be really a good important. Idea. I mean, it's you can create some alternate credit with with bills, right? So you can get those sometimes added to a credit report for you know, stuff like cable bill and things like that. But they should get credit. They should start establishing stuff for that next life. You know, one thing that I always tell, especially stay-at-home moms, is if you can run a credit report, do it well you can run a credit report so be sure they know what's out there and whatever they're attached to at that's a great point and and they can get them free like yeah you can get one free from each bureau throughout the year and then you can request other ones there's always a way you can get it so it's a, it's a good way to go yeah i think it, it's important to know what your name is attached to oh yeah bottom line yeah. well and and i actually recommend people put a fraud alert on just because as stuff's changing hands you can put a 90-day fraud alert on Nobody can open new credit unless they check what the person whose name is on there and it protects them from that. Yeah, I, I would add to that that uh, kind of uh, building up the support system, you know, whether that's emotional or financial. I mean, it, it, I think both are really important. And, uh, you know, for the financial side, I think that sometimes people don't want to do it, but they have to look to friends and family right. to help them pay for that. Uh, and, uh, and I think that's something that you have to think about pretty early on in the process. Right. Uh, I do have a question, though, with you doing different types of divorce. And, and I know we all know each other through, you know, mediation cases and collaborative law group. That's great. But I know you, you deal with litigation as well. How often do you come across in discovery where people are like, holy crap, like I didn't know that my spouse had this, either from a debt or an asset perspective? Um, there aren't. There aren't too many, you know, uh, moments like that, and you know, but it does it does happen. Uh, it's more the cases that uh, where you have businesses that the uh, you know that the other spouse didn't know that, or maybe they knew the husband was involved in it, but they didn't know how much. Um, you know, it, it's actually more the discovery of debts mm -hmm. and obligations. That's what I was going to say. That are the surprise. And what happens then? I mean, is it is it? Do you typically see? potentially amicable divorces slip into uh, a lot more contentious absolutely absolutely the person who uh who that happened to feels betrayed and angry and whatever trust they had they they really start to question um any decision based upon trusting their their spouse now just undisclosed debt is that treated differently as the negotiation goes back and forth it's it's what's well, not really undisclosed. It was it's disclosed in the financial affidavit. That that might be the first time that that. that That's yeah, yeah. I meant more like the spouse didn't know, and all of a sudden there's divorce, and they're like, "Holy crap! There's seventy five grand in debt I didn't know about." Yeah, and it's not like a student loan. That's maybe good, it, uh, not great, but still yeah. better than like credit card debt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, but it's yeah, it's still it's a marital debt, and the person who didn't know about it is obviously understandably very unhappy about that. Yeah, don't underestimate financial infidelity. It can be just as as devastating as any oh, other sure. kind of infidelity. I'm sure. Um, in this day and age of electronic bill pay, 
I joke, but it's true that if something happened to me, my husband would have to wait for disconnection notices to know who to pay or what to pay just because I handle all of that. I think that's probably true in a lot of cases. You know, we talk about looking for the credit card statements. What if everything's online? What if you don't have those tangible paper resources um, to look for? Are there electronic sleuthing mechanisms that people can use? Credit report would be the first place to start with that. First place to start with that. Um, I think there's a certain amount of sleuthing that can be done without breaking any rules before you get divorced just around the house. Yeah, um, definitely. Which is, I think, what you're... Um, yeah, I always tell my clients, um, start looking in you know, file cabinets and start checking the mail, but uh, definitely run that credit report first because there's they haven't usually what about hard assets right so there's paper trail for credit cards mm-hmm. hard what the hard assets like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, sorry there's you know with with <laughs> you through my train of thought uh you know with bank statements and stuff like that it's easy to find but if somebody has squirreled away gold silver things that are of value that they've put that way, specifically for that, or even cash. Safe deposit you know, boxes, the, the they still do them. We call it mattress money, right? So they could be sitting on tens of thousands of dollars. How does that play into it? Well, you're asking whether those those things are discoverable. You can locate yeah, them. Yeah, kind of, uh, right? So ultimately, I'm sure they're hard to find. sure they're hard to track. But there's got to be ways you could look and say, wait a minute. There's money coming from somewhere. Yes. Well, if there's a... Well, if there's money coming into the bank accounts, obviously you can follow the money that way like a forensic accountant might. Um, a casino chips in a storage locker somewhere. I, I don't know that there's much that, that we're never going to find. Are you able scene. to find, if someone's got a safe deposit box that is in their name, is that something where you can look and go, hey, we need to know everywhere, or like storage lockers, right? Like they could have a U-Haul, or not a U-Haul, like a U-Haul store stuff. If we can find where it is, we can subpoena it. Okay. Usually there's a monthly bill coming in yeah. for those things, you know? That's correct. Okay. But another thing to really look at, and I'm sure Cameron, you, you know, is lifestyle assessment. And Mariah and I have talked about this. But if you're driving a Mercedes, you're living in a million-dollar house, and, you know, you tell your your ex, I only make 80000 Well, there's things that you have to look at. Yeah, to spend analysis, which you go yes. through and literally put together a spreadsheet that describes the spending on a monthly average mm-hmm. and it, everything. And that'll help you understand what is actually transpiring in terms of spending in the household. And that goes into the lifestyle argument. Another important place to look is tax returns. Right. Uh, if someone wanted to pre-plan and I only speak to this because it's a case I know of, uh, you can have as much as you want deducted from your tax return. So if five, six years before the marriage, you start having a third of your income taken away out of taxes, you can have a hundred, $150,000 tax credit sitting there and then you get divorced and the person who's first on that tax return generally gets that credited to them. Fortunately for us in Illinois, they have to disclose. Mm-hmm. Well, they may not actually do it the right way, but that is information that that we sh- that's that we should right. be able to get, um, and anyone can order a tax transcript. So even if you're the spouse who just kind of signs the tax return and doesn't look at it, you can order a transcript of that tax return. Excellent point. That's so. I got two questions. First, subpoenaing. You know, you talked about subpoenaing information about storage lockers and things like that. What about family? If there's an expectation that somebody maybe be moving, maybe is moving money to family members and stuff like that, how how does that change the discovery process? If we had evidence of a transaction going from the one, one party's bank account 
to uh, that family member, you know, and, and so we had evidence that there's a basis for issuing a subpoena, then yeah, I mean, we can send the subpoena, they would move to quash it, and then we'd have to argue about how burdensome it is upon that person to respond to it. And then what about cryptocurrency? I mean, it's kind of fallen out of the headlines a lot, but cryptocurrency is sort of trackable, but not trackable, things like that. Have you seen any of that move into the divorce marketplace? I have. It's something that uh, I would say really more in the last two years mm -hmm. has started to show up on financial affidavits and people's, you know, people's marital estates. Um, and it's just like any... I mean, I haven't really encountered any issues. With I meant more like yet. hiding it because oh, like, when cryptocurrency hit, it was like, OK, mm -hmm. this is pretty obviously why they came up with it is somebody doesn't want to know where they don't want people to know where their money is. I don't think we I think we're behind in tracking cryptocurrency. I have no mm -hmm. way of finding out where to, where to locate cryptocurrency other than get a response or maybe a payment to a cryptocurrency account money going out. Now we've got some evidence of it. Now we found it. You can also hide money anyone's listening who wants to hide money um, relatively easily on Venmo and PayPal. You can kind of stash a balance there. And if you're not listing that as one of your accounts and it's not trackable by a forensic person looking at your bank accounts, you can have $100,000 sitting in Venmo. Which is well, why. It's like, what is that? There's a, I think I've read somewhere that a lot of the, the, the women, if they didn't have a source of income, um, you know, a while ago, less now, would when they go to the grocery store, yeah, get a little bit more out, that, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then squirrel it away and squirrel it away. Cash. And it away. Yeah, so that the they've cash. got cash. Yeah. You know, to do that. So they're interesting strategies to, to get. I actually t do talk to women that are going through abusive situations that that's one way they can build up like a safe plan and have a little cash is they go to the grocery store and they take a little cash mm -hmm. every time. And it's kind of the backdoor way of building up a little savings. But and I, I like the PayPal credit um, idea. I mean, it's not nor, standard discovery doesn't ask for that. Nope. Um, you can ask for discovery that would ask for what a credit balance of an account like that. All you have to do is ask for the credit balances and you've got, you found the asset, right? Correct. Um, and it should probably become more standard, but it isn't. Um, but then as you go through like the forensic looking at accounts, all you have to see is one transaction that mentions a Venmo account. Yep. It's triggered and you look for it and you never know what you find. And aren't a lot of those, the financial discovery requests, they're very much templates and lawyers just send them and not default lawyers, but, you know, they don't always list all the little things that can be hidden. Yeah. And one, you're correct. That's, there's a Supreme Court approved interrogatories and requests to produce. Um, what 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 might happen is an attorney might remove some of those to give them more more interrogatory, hold back some of the interrogatories because there's a limit on how many you can send out, right. and then send out a supplemental set, right? Um, if if you suspect that that's something that you may want to pursue down the road, depending how deep you want to dive, because yeah, there are cases where this isn't going to be necessarily relevant. Correct, but in in most cases there's something to litigate but something maybe one or two issues it's not mm. necessarily everything it's just a couple of issues for for most well and i think it's not necessarily what to fight over it might just be grasping the scope of what you have to deal with right so you know i think it seems like you gravitate toward discovery being about hey what are we going to fight over as opposed to okay what are we dealing with how much debt is there how many assets are there and it might be for a positive reason right and it's also about um making it's a negotiation process too it really it really folds into negotiation if you're if one party claims they have a, a non-marital estate and maybe the house is a non they're claiming is non-marital all right prove it right that's your burden so prove it right, uh, right. and and that helps sometimes clarify issues 
you know, as the parties continue to negotiate and maybe one party or the other doesn't fully recognize um, that that's a true statement. Sure, sure. But that's, I mean, I... And on an emotional level, too, I think even in a more amicable divorce, the underlying question that everyone has is, are we going to be okay? Can we take what supported one household and now support two? And right. if you don't know what you have, there's no way that you can answer that question in a way that gives you any sense of reassurance. So right. figuring out the pie before you cut it up is really important. It creates oh, it a lot of anxiety to delay that process, mm -hmm. I think. And well, it's, it seems like a hugely important aspect of it. And uh, you know, we, we talk a lot about preparation and I think it's, it's you know, preparation is, is what everything's all about. So if people want to find out more information about discovery or they need help with any kind of, I mean, you handle everything from mediation to litigation to collaborative, right? That's you correct. do the, the whole suite. That's correct. How, what's the best way to get hold of you? Uh, my best way to get hold of me is my phone number, 630-474-6700, or my website, goodmandivorce.com. Fantastic. Split Ready is brought to you by Cats Funding. Not all marital assets, not all marital real estate is residential. Cats Funding is there to help you with your investment real estate. Go to www.catsfunding.net if you have a need to finance any investment properties. And if you are thinking about divorce, please visit splitready.com and take our free assessment. You can come through your divorce with your finances, your integrity, and your sanity intact. Be informed, ask questions, and be split ready.